Welcome. This is a special episode of the Daily Wrestling News Show where we are on a mission to teach, learn, and remember the history of professional wrestling with everyone that wants to join us. My name is Ryan Joy, and I am joined on this special live episode with the one and only John DeCani. John, how are things going today? Good, good. Well, we had some interesting stuff going on last night, and here we are to chat about it. Absolutely. Um, so what we thought we would do is we would talk about these Tales from the Territory, the new show that debuted on Vice TV last night. Um, and it's kind of in our wheelhouse a little bit. You know, we are we are talking about the history of pro wrestling uh, each and every day in the podcast. And we thought, this show's coming out. It's really in our wheelhouse. We're going to watch it anyway. So why don't we come on and just, you know, react to it, I guess, because... Uh, it certainly is some really good material. Yeah, there was a lot of learning going on last night because uh, as we just got through telling each other in pre-production, hadn't heard any of that stuff before. <laughs> it's just incredible. Um, it's really incredible that you and I, are two people that combined together, have probably watched thousands of hours of you know, wrestling documentaries. We've, you know, of course, watched all this wrestling where, you know, you refer to th different things and whatnot. And to be able to watch something like this, that everything is new. Um, everything we're hearing is new. Now, you know, we watch Dark Side of the Ring and we know generally what we're, what subject matter we're leaning into. But this is totally fresh to us, which is really cool. Yeah, like you said, Dark Side of the Ring, you're hoping... You're hoping to get that behind the scenes stuff of these, like, you know, the umbrella subject for any episode is something that you absolutely, almost always absolutely know, and maybe even know pretty in, in depth. And you're hoping to get something behind the scenes and who, you know, who was there and who has a different story. Last night, it was just a, a bunch of old veterans sitting around and telling stories that I think even a couple of them hadn't heard some of the other stories. and. Sure. Like you said, it it was all new to me. I was really I was really excited uh, for the show. I had heard a podcast with Evan Husney, who is one of the creators, uh, just the, that day, you know, yesterday, and he was kind of talking about what they were doing. So, if you don't know, this show is from Vice TV and Seven Bucks Productions. Seven Bucks being the Rocks Production Company, uh, and it's also from the creators of Dark Side of the Ring. Jason Eisner and Evan Husney. So it's an interesting contrast because Eisner and Husney have had this really great run doing the dark side episodes. And that's literally what it is. It's like the dark underbelly, bad stories, like the real nasty stuff that's happened in wrestling. Whereas this show is taking a different spin. So you take the same creators and the same research teams and combine them with the Rocks Production Company, and then you put out something like this, which is much more of a, a celebration of wrestling's history than it is uh, taking that really dark, dark angle on it. Hey, granted, there was some dark stuff. Sure. But, <laughs> but and it also allows them to do something that they wouldn't necessarily be able to do on dark side. You know, they they go way in depth on essentially one topic or, you know, one person and you get a couple of really key stories. 
there were a couple of just throw, not throwaway, but just one-liners or one-minute little things brought up last night that you know would kind of get lost in the shuffle if you were if you were doing, let's say, a dark side episode on Jerry Lawler. Sure. You know, you, you, yeah, you'd you'd have his, you know, like they just they just threw in there the you know the parking lot uh, moment with him and Eddie Gilbert where Eddie ran him down with a car. And you know it, it 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 looked great. It looked like a stunt man. You know, Lawler looked like a stunt man going across the hood of that car and over the back of it. But it looked that good because it looked that real because it was that real. Gilbert was driving way too fast, uh, causing Jerry to break the you know the, the windshield and tumble across the top and down the back of the car. And and that was it. It was you know they were it was a sixty second telling of the story and you got the 15 seconds of footage and then they were on to the next subject which is something you, you wouldn't really get out of a, a dark side uh, episode yeah yeah so i guess we've we've alluded to it a little bit without actually saying it but this first episode was on was centered around the memphis territory uh which actually was called continental wrestling association uh that was that was built around the kentucky slash Tennessee area. Uh, and most people, I guess, just refer to that as the Memphis territory. But they had uh, Jerry Lawler, Jimmy Hart, Jeff Jarrett, his dad, Jerry Jarrett, who's the promoter, and Dutch Mantel were the storytellers for the evening, I guess. And it was just the, the four of them, or five of them, sitting around a table with the cameras on, and and I felt like Jeff Jarrett was sort of like the 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 guy who was kind of like setting setting everybody else up to tell their story, but um, yeah, it was just the five of them kind of shooting the breeze about these stories, and that and and I believe for the most part that's what we're going to see throughout the rest of the episodes, which I believe is a ten episode series. So uh, I know they're going to be talking about Stampede Wrestling, and they're going to be talking about. Uh, the next episode actually is about Andy Kaufman specifically. So it's still going to stay in Memphis, but they're going to deep dive on the Andy Kaufman story. So, um, but there's, you know, the Dallas and, uh, you know, a bunch of other territories. So uh, Florida, which I'm looking forward to. So, yeah. So a lot of good stuff coming forward, but this first episode was on Memphis. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, it's like you said, uh, there was a lot of learning or like, I think I opened the show with, there's a lot of learning going on last night. Cause I'm not sure if you gave me five guesses, I would have come up with continental wrestling association. Like I, I just know it as the Memphis terror, just yeah. as Memphis. Yeah. You know, I might've guessed USWA who they joined with at the end as they were kind of going out of business, but I, I never would have come up with CWA. I don't think I've ever heard it referred to that way. Yeah, I was going to, one of the things I was curious to ask you, did you ever watch anything out of this territory? I mean, I, probably not live or anything, but like at any point, did you um, see any tape or anything from this that you can recall? You know, because as they went out of their way to uh, remind us all, so many people pass through that territory you know, I, I think even the uh, maybe the Undertaker uh, documentary that we saw this year probably had a little bit of him making his quick stop there early. You know, like a lot of so I've seen like little, you know, 
30 yeah. second clips of that mm -hmm. territory, but I, I, there's never been any reason for me to sit down and watch a full match or, you know, an episode of uh, any of their old TV. Yeah. Same here. I never saw any of it. I, you know, when they showed that clip of Eddie Gilbert running over Jerry Lawler, that looked awful familiar. Like I had seen that someplace, right. but I, I never watched the full show that it was within. I know that it would have been on some, something probably documenting Jerry Lawler's career or something that I would have watched. So, um, completely fascinated by it. Um, I know if you, you know, if you, a lot of people, uh, this is, this is prime like tape trading days, right? Like, so, if, you know, if you had a satellite dish or something in during the time period, this was going on and you could pick up the Memphis stations, you know, you, this is something people would, you know, trade about and stuff. But so, the show opens up uh, their little intro, which I assume is going to be a little bit different each week. But the part that will stick is uh, The Rock does a voiceover. He says, in the golden age of professional wrestling, when the wrestling business was protected and the passionate fans still believed, the world of the squared circle was divided into territories. What you're about to hear are the stories of those fabled days from the road and the ring told by the legends that lived them. I thought that was pretty perfect, particularly because the subtitle for this Memphis episode was where wrestling was real. <laughs> and they, it's funny. And as we get to the end, when we start talking about maybe the legacy of Memphis, um, it's interesting um, that that's the, the tagline, but these guys went through a lot of effort in their storytelling to talk about how, real the product was presented as and it opens up with uh jeff jarrett kicking things off and he's talking about how wrestling in the territory days was a lot more like the red sox versus the yankees and today is a lot more like broadway so really interesting and then jerry lawler quickly pivots off that and talks about a sign that hung in the office that said personal issues draw money and when i saw that i can't i couldn't help but think of uh you know the young bucks and cm punk and whether that'll draw money at any point in the near future but um so yeah wrestling was real yeah they're even going back a little bit you know the whole edge lita matt hardy thing like if something's going on Let's put it in front of the, you know, let's, let's tweak it up a little bit, just enough and put it in front of the cameras because, you know, there, there's nothing more intriguing than things that happen in real life. You can make up great storylines, but sometimes something stupid happens in real life. And that's a lot more compelling than anything you could have sat down and come up with on your own. So put it in front of the cameras. Brett and Sean, you know, is another example of one of those personal issues that, you know, everybody knows about that, um, you know, I think it was really clear after Montreal, but uh, which we'll talk about next month. But you know, when Owen Hart stayed behind, like I, I feel like everybody right there wanted to see Owen Hart face off with Shawn Michaels, and they never really got it. I think man. we had like one match afterwards, but man, I, I always felt like that would have sold a lot of pay per view. So to the point. Now, a throw. Uh, you were talking about like the throwaway lines, and you talked about that Eddie Gilbert thing. Um, interesting. Another th kind of throwaway line. It's probably in the middle of the episode. Was Jimmy Hart said that 
seven out of 10 TVs in the area were tuned into Memphis wrestling. He said shops would close and farmers would come down off their tractors to watch. And I just thought, man, that's incredible. We always hear about how popular wrestling was during these territory days. And I guess that's a case in point of like the popularity uh, of wrestling at the time. Yeah. And the other thing about that, within that same kind of uh, maybe 30 seconds that uh, Jimmy was talking about that, that was Saturday morning wrestling. Yeah. You know, the, you know, the, the territory, for lack of a better term, shut down on Saturday mornings to watch that li that live broadcast. And like you said, seven out of 10 televisions in that area were all tuned in to watch Saturday morning wrestling. Incredible. And, you know, it's on it by today's standards, it would be unprecedented. Nah. Um, I did an interview with Bruce Owens, who is uh, he's been in the business for 50 years. He was a ring announcer and a referee. Um, he's a referee today um, down here in Florida. And so he did all, he worked through all the NWA days down here. You can see him ring announcing in a clash of champions uh, that was in Miami at the night center. And he explained to me that during those, those days of the territory here, that they would sell out the, the night center, which is the building that AEW runs week after week after week. So you're drawing, you know, it's a 5,000 seat building, I think. Um, and you would draw those, that number of fans to the same, from the same market every week. Now, AEW ran Jacksonville for a bunch of weeks in a row and, and did not do the same thing. It's by today's standards, like the popularity is, is not where it was back in the, uh, when wrestling was real as they, <laughs> it's, uh, in this yeah. thing, so. So that's the time that we're kind of like steeped into with this show. And John, we 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 heard a lot of really really good stories. Was there was there one that like stuck out the most to you that was like holy shit? <laughs> <laughs> well, there. I mean, there definitely was one. You know, if if this was going to be a if there was going to be one story to be a standalone episode, there's the one that really sticks out. But I'll leave that for you because you and I were texting back and forth about it. I'll go to my second favorite story in the episode. And that was uh, Dutch and Jeff Jarrett wrestling in front of a symphony. Bizarre, right? <laughs> totally odd. They had built a, a ring and lower. It was in the, in the orchestra pit. So, you know, this was a, this was a night at the theater for the, highfalutin in the area right and the i guess the encore the you know the end of the show was this percussion specialty that was going to kind of they were going to try and build a symphony around the moves in this wrestling match and uh dutch mantel goes on to say that he didn't they asked him if they wanted to practice it i guess because the symphony kind of wanted to get an idea of where the spots were going to be in the match. And he was like, hell no, you know, we're traveling 52 weeks a year. I'm tired. I'm not going to wrestle for you before I wrestle for you. <laughs> so, you know, they were kind of, you know, playing it on the fly. And so the percussion starts, the ring raises out of the orchestra pit and is now in the eye line of the fans. And uh, as they go, they go on to say they, they weren't necessarily into it all that much to begin with. 
but they took them on the rise and the fall of your average wrestling match. And the good guy wound up winning. And uh, by the end of it, the fans were really into it. And that match holds the distinction of being the only match that exists in perpetuity in the Smithsonian. Yeah. So Dirty Dutch Mantel and Jeff Jarrett are in the Smithsonian due to this match. And point of note, there's a story coming up on our podcast that had the same finish. <laughs> so there, there's a match that I broke down in one of our upcoming stories, and it wasn't even the main match of the story on that day that I'm telling. But this match ended with Jarrett coming back into the ring with a sunset flip, going for the roll-up, but Dutch is holding the ropes, and the referee kicks his hands off the rope so that Jared can complete the roll up and get the one, two, three, and the good guy wins, and and boom, and the, the orchestra finishes. I was fascinated by this story as well, part, partly because the whole Smithsonian aspect by it, but just the idea that they were so these people bought a ticket to the orchestra that night, and it was the Louisville Symphony. And they were doing a special on PBS called Lonesome Pine Special. And they weren't wrestling fans. They were lawyers and, you know, you know, the, like you said, the the highfalutin people that probably weren't, you know, at the arena every week. So they they perhaps didn't know the product as well. Um, and like you said, they had to work kind of hard to get them into it before the 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 conclusion, which Again, the conclusion, you know, Dutch is using a drum and fighting off the uh, the guy from the orchestra to get the drum to use it. So really fun, uh, fun story. But it wasn't the only weird place that Dutch wrestled as well, because he he also talked about and, and this is another one of those, you know, 30 second things they talked about was that he also wrestled in a prison. And I don't know if this was a regular thing or not, but um you know, he would go in, they would inspect his uh, his bullwhip, and <laughs> I guess they let it through at what point, but Dutch is, you know, they're doing the show and wrestling along, and then Dutch realizes that there's no guards standing between him and the murderers and rapists in the yard. All the guards are up in the tower, <laughs> so... Yes, uh, point of note, this was a maximum security prison, according to Dutch. Right. So there were legitimately killers. Right who if they decided to rush the ring, which wasn't uncommon for that day, some, some shit was going to go down. No. And that, you know, Jimmy Hart told some stories about fans getting involved. So if, just imagine if it was these guys from the, from the prison, but you know, luckily, luckily for Dutch in this situation, the good guys were the bad guys and the bad guys were the good guys. Uh, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, the baby faces got booed vociferously and right. the heels were the heroes. <laughs> So uh, you kind of set me up for this, but yeah, my favorite story from this um, favorite is a really rough way to describe it. But <laughs> the story of note for me in this episode, uh, which made me feel like, man, there's a dark side of the ring waiting to be told on this one, um, had to do with Mario Galento. Uh, and this was just crazy because here you have uh roy welsh who is also a promoter in the area he's going through the early stages of dementia and somebody gets in his ear that jerry jarrett is trying to steal his business so welsh 
sends Mario Galento here to to take care of uh, Jerry Jarrett and in a very violent way, by the way. So uh, apparently uh, Jerry Jarrett and Jerry Lawler are wrestling a match and Galento comes up, hits Jerry from behind and, and Jerry Jarrett goes down and it's like a legit, he was legit hit. And he thinks it's Lawler's manager that, you know, just kind of um, hit him a little too hard. But Jarrett turns around and he sees the Mario Galento in the ring and realizes it was him. And and Jerry Lawler had already described him as like, he's the guy with the bad guy face, right? Like the, the best bad guy face. So Jerry Jarrett's terrified. So he starts thinking in his head of all the different ways that he was taught to uh, end a fight quickly and the one he resolves himself on is pulling out galento's eye and he stands up and he does it and the eye is laying on the canvas and you'd think that would end the fight but it doesn't <laughs> so uh so seeing kind of what's going on lawler and his manager are start beating on galento galento kind of rolls out of the ring uh and sort of I guess retreats a little bit. Uh, he grabs a title belt. They get that back. For, they get that away from him. They start hitting him with the title belt. Galento goes to the back. Well, Jerry Lawler was fighting Jerry Jarrett. So he doesn't want to appear to the crowd that like, you know, they're on the same side of things. So Lawler is like, you know, I'm the only one who's going to beat up Jerry Jarrett. <laughs> Galento comes back with a nightstick. And doesn't Jerry Jarrett get that nightstick away as uh, Galento is climbing in the ring and they beat him down and the guy gets something like 200 stitches. And that should surely be the end of this story, but it's not. Months later, when the stitches, I, I'm sorry, I don't know how much longer yeah. later, but um, sometime later, uh, the stitches come out and Jerry Lawler is wrestling a match with another card guy, somebody that you know he couldn't even recall. And that guy rolls out of the ring and Jerry's like, what's going on? And Galento is behind him. Jerry turns and sees Galento climbing in the ring with his wife and Galento is carrying a straight razor. So Jerry kind of like, you know, books it, goes to the locker room. And this is the part I, I sent John a text back. Uh, Lawler goes back to the locker room. Galento pursues him. But when Galento comes through into the locker room, he sees a gun and put right in his face by Johnny Valiant or Jimmy Valiant. And uh, they all get arrested. And that's kind of the end of the story. But Jerry Jarrett did say that Galento died with one eye. So, <laughs> so they, they, uh, they did a number on him. They, uh, that, uh, two, two things stuck out in that story, other than the obvious of ripping a man's effing eyeball out right. and then putting a dirty hairy gun in his chest to tell him to back off um a that when he got the nightstick he got caught exactly the way guys get caught in the ring every week on tv he right. was coming in and jerry jarrett was already in the ring so he stomped on him as he was sliding under the bottom rope and that's how he knocked the weapon out of his hand it's something we see happen all the time in professional wrestling and you know you, you oh in a real fight maybe that wouldn't happen well this was about as real as it gets and it absolutely did happen that way and the other thing that stuck out to me was again how real it is and how protected the business was back then that in the middle of this mayhem lawler made sure you know this wasn't obviously none of this was in a script 
Lawler had to take time to cut a promo explaining why he helped his opponent that night. He was right. trying to save Jerry Jarrett's life, but to the fans were like, wait a minute, Lawler and Jarrett were enemies. Well, nobody gets to beat his ass, but me. like he ha- he felt he needed to get in front of the camera and explain to the fans why he helped out his opponent. And that is just, you know, again, going back to the, the title of the episode, it was real. <laughs> it was yeah. so, so much of it was real or at least believed to be real. And, you know, that that was never that, that, that was that was the job. Yeah, never, never was it as real as that. But the other uh, sort of subtopic that they went into uh, on the show was stories about the fans and what they would do when fans inserted themselves into um you know the matches or um jimmy hart told a couple of different stories uh cherry lawler had a story about things but i guess one of the things that they would do uh is that if a fan kind of got you know rowdy or tried to go over the barricade or whatever the police would actually take them to a room and the wrestlers would beat the hell out of them (laughs) and then they would say you know do you you know, they would, the police would say to the guy, you know, what do you want to do here? And the people were like, I want to go home. <laughs> so you want to go, um, go to jail. <laughs> but uh, there was, there, Jimmy Hart told a story about getting hit with a, uh, a dart from a blowgun. And he thought it was a cigarette butt, like being put out on his brand new pants, candy striped pants, he talked about. And he was, so he was really concerned about the pants. Are the pants okay? Are the pants okay? Um, and he gets to the back and they realize that the dart has drawn blood. And so that's a, you know, so they're like, oh, you gotta go get a tetanus shot. And Jimmy's main concern was this, this is going to come out of my payout for this night. So uh, they caught the guy, but Jimmy Hart said, oh, he's bigger than me. So I really didn't want anything to do with him. But. And there was another guy who uh, Jerry Lawler was managing. Uh, Jimmy Hart was managing Jerry Lawler, and Jimmy's running around the ring a thousand miles an hour like Jimmy does. And some guy reached out and kicked him in the leg, and Jimmy went down. Well, whatever. But after the show, Jerry and Jimmy are leaving the building, and the guy is there, and he says, "I'm the one who did this." And Jerry asks him to repeat it, and when he does, Jerry punches him straight in the face, <laughs> and knocks him down. So. Uh, <laughs> if you were a fan in Memphis, maybe stay on your side of the barricade. Exactly. Yeah, but especially in those days. But yeah, that that got me thinking. Like, where was you know Jimmy's charge, whoever that might have been, for the blow blow dart incident? You know, he went yeah. into the room, saw the guy was bigger than him, and went, oh, "I guess we'll just let him go tonight." Whoever he was managing should have come in there and beat the hell out of the guy. But right. you know, ruined <laughs> a brand new pair of pants for Christ's sake. It was a six-man tag, so he had a couple of guys on his yeah, side. Yeah. <laughs> and Jerry Lawler told the story of uh, going out of the building and seeing a guy with a brick, and the um, he told the guy, "Don't throw that brick at my car, or I will run you over and kill you." <laughs> and so Lawler gets in the car, you know, turns on the ignition, and sure enough, that brick comes flying at his windshield and it busts the windshield, and Lawler. In that moment, he's like, I'm going to kill this guy. And he like slams down on the gas only to find out that all his tires have been slashed already. So. <laughs> oh, 
else. Crazy crazy stories they picked out. um, There was another one with involving the Iron Sheik that I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. (laughs) Uh, So it just happened to be that a U.S. helicopter had gone down in Iran that week, uh, you know, because our... (laughs) Our relations were never all that good for the uh, you know, with them, uh, certainly not at that time. And uh, there's Jimmy, you know, Iron Sheik is cutting his promo that, you know, was probably entertaining and hilarious, but you probably could barely understand what Sheiky was saying. Right. But there's Jimmy waving the Iranian flag behind him. And tell him, Sheiky, tell him, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry Jarrett decides to put on the video wall behind them as this is all going on footage of that helicopter going, you know, whatever footage was obtained of that uh, copter going down. And it just so happened that the soldier who was involved in that crash, his family lived in the territory, not just in the territory, but nearby were watching and called in and threatened. They were coming down there with guns to get, you know, Obviously, they I'm sure they hated the Sheik, too. But, you know, Jimmy Hart is the American who's a turncoat who's waving the Iranian flag. They're coming after him. And you can you can take over the rest because you know, there's more to it. But yeah, I guess in the end, you know, that in particular night, they they sequester Jimmy and the Sheik away. They defuse the situation. Um, but. The the one of the one of the individuals that was coming after Jimmy, he didn't stop. He continued to like stalk Jimmy all around Memphis. To which Jimmy's reply was, "Don't fight me here. We'll do a, we'll do a match and draw all kinds of money." Um, so I guess then the guy was dogging Jimmy. When are we gonna have that match? When are we gonna have that match? So um, just you know, this is the bizarre stuff when things got you know kind of real for people. Um, you know the stuff that would happen. Um, I know from watching some of the different Randy Savage documentaries and stuff that Savage was a guy who he was kind of in the outlaw territory, right? For a while. Um, they didn't touch on that in this Tales from the Territory episode, but I know that, you know, he was working on getting into the business or whatever. And he was, uh, him and his family were kind of working on the competition and stuff like that. Well, at some point they get into this Memphis territory and there's a whole story about Randy Savage in a waffle house getting in a knife fight uh, and Savage ends up having a butter knife. And then the cops are there and they try to spray Randy with mace, but Randy ducks and hit the guy hits the cop behind it, Randy. So like very like uh, Barney Fife type <laughs> Keystone cop type of situation. But um, so lots of really great stories. I do love this. I do love that they're doing this show. Uh, John, was there anything else of note on the show that you want to talk about specifically before we kind of like wrap things up and talk about um, what they were saying about the legacy of uh, Memphis? No, just uh, I I love how uh, Jerry and uh, Jeff managed to get in uh, Jackie Fargo. They had to tell a story about Jackie Fargo, who was Lawler's mentor. Yeah, but that's that, that that's Nate. Well, I saw a picture of him last night, and uh, you know a little bit of uh, reenactment footage. I know the name only because Jeff Jarrett. It, it, it's always on Jeff Jarrett's tongue. 
anytime he finds himself opposite Ric Flair. Yeah. Because Fargo is the man who invented the strut that right. Flair would make famous. So yeah. it was it was nice to see and hear a little story about him and uh, see you know see a picture of him. I, I had never I'm sure I could have Googled it and seen it, but I just never bothered to. Got to see him last night, and you know just just little things that they dropped in uh, like that. That you know it's like okay, I've I've heard of this before, and I, you know I, I wouldn't be able to pick this person out of a lineup, but okay, now I know what the person looks like. Yeah, yeah, he's one one guy or one you know legendary character from that perspective. You know, he trained Jerry Lawler, one of the all-time uh, biggest stars in that area. Um, and then uh, they also had a, told a whole bunch of stories about a guy named Joe LeDuc, who was like a French-Canadian lumberjack. lumberjack. Lots of really good stuff on this uh, episode. So check it out. Uh, and also, John and I will be back next week to talk about the Andy Kaufman episode. So that'll be a lot of fun. Um, John, have you seen... I mean, I've seen Man on the Moon movie like 100 years ago, but like... Yeah. I'm a little bit more familiar with this, so it'll be interesting to to see what we learn in that in that regard. Yeah, they they set it up perfectly. Like obviously, this is going to be one of their biggest stories because this is one that had nationwide fame. Sure. So they teased us last night, get us involved. You know, the the hardcore wrestling fans are going to be there for last night just to see. Okay, what's the show about? And now, okay, here comes the big one. So yeah. yeah, it's very much looking forward to that because once again, like a dark side episode, I know the, I know the overarching theme, but I can't wait to hear some of the behind the scenes stuff. Sure. So before, just before we leave, they, they did talk about the legacy of Memphis and, you know, Jeff kind of put it to the ground, to the, to the, to the crew there. And Jimmy Hart was kind of, you know, struggling a little bit to talk about it. And Jerry, Jerry was saying that, you know, we had a very specific style. And then Jeff Jarrett kind of said there was there was two things that Jeff said that stuck out to me. He said, they always left the fans wanting more. They did a 90-minute show, which he said sometimes a two-hour show is too long and sometimes a one-hour show is not quite enough. But at 90 minutes, they kind of left the fans wanting more. And he said, when you when you look at all the stuff that was happening, all the characters and the antics and the stuff that they – would just do crazy stuff that, that would happen on Memphis television, you know, week to week. He said Memphis was sports entertainment before sports entertainment existed. And when you contrast that to what he said at the beginning of the episode, where he said the territory days were more like Red Sox versus Yankees, whereas today it's more like Broadway. I thought, boy, that's kind of like saying two different things. Right. But I guess, you know, he was, he's basically was saying like it was presented like a sport. People viewed it as a sport, but the characters were all larger than life, but believable as such, which, so, I mean, you, you have to really like, I, I was like kind of really digging into those two comments, but sure. um, they, it, it just was really interesting though, those two comments and, and how they sort of mean the opposite, but you have to like, kind of analyze it to a little bit of a different degree after watching the episode yeah and to to add to the fact of that territory being sports entertainment before sports entertainment my thoughts on the territories or my you know my you know i i didn't grow up with the territory i when I, the time i grew up wwf was nationwide and that was pretty much all i saw until nitro came on the air um 
my thoughts of the territory was that you put on the same match night after night after night, hitting all these little towns, and then you know it would play out on TV. You know, you'd get episodes of TV, blah blah blah, whatever. But you'd put on the same match for a month until it was time to kind of turn over the territory, turn over the storylines. The other thing that they they dropped in there that again speaks of what would become sports entertainment was that wasn't necessarily that my idea wasn't necessarily the case. They were hitting the same towns. You know, they had a schedule where, you know, it was Nashville on this day. It was Evansville on that day, Memphis for the big TV taping. And they were replaying these towns every week. So they had to keep coming up with new stuff. So it was what we would now call episodic. And, you know, so there, there had to be a lot more that went into it. You didn't just wrestle the same guy in the same match for a month straight. You know, you had to turn it over every week. So yeah, I can't yeah. imagine it back then. It is interesting. And, you know, I wonder, this could be a whole separate topic, but I wonder if the reason we get that idea about these territories is because we usually listen to the guys on top talking mm-hmm. You know, if you if you hear like a Ric Flair talk about this, he could wrestle, you know, the same match because they might go from city to city. So they might take that match from this territory, pick it up and go put it in another territory. Um, and that way it would be fresh. But like, yeah, I heard the same thing down here in Florida that they would they would see the same fans in different cities. So they had to do different things to keep it fresh. So um, I agree with you that we we kind of get that feeling. But you know some of some of what we're hearing now um, makes it somewhat different. So, yeah. But in any event, really excited for the Andy Kaufman episode. We will be back here next week to chat about that. And uh, in the meantime, uh, the Daily Wrestling News Show comes out every single day. Unlike this show, that one's only like five to ten minutes, so you can easily listen to that one. Uh, it'll be on the same feed as this. So do check it out. It's audio only on the podcast feed. This one we did live on Facebook and YouTube. So definitely check out the podcast. Go to Daily Wrestling News Show slash links to get all the places that you can you know download the podcast. So that said, uh, John, we'll see you next week. Till then. <laughs>